You're listening to the Desperation Podcast, a generation in desperate pursuit of God. www.desperationonline.com. You are an answer. You are not a problem. You being a woman in the house of God is not a second choice. God cannot function through you less because you are a woman. God can function through you powerfully as long as you understand that God wants to flow through you as a woman in the house of God. You don't need to be, pretend to be a man. You don't need to make your voice sound like a man. You don't have to be one of the guys. You just need to be the most amazing, effective daughter that God has anointed you to be. And when I say daughter, I'm not talking just about young because you are a mother and a grandmother but you always start a daughter and you always will be a daughter no matter what season of life you are in and so I'm talking to every daughter in the house of God no matter what your age are you are an answer you are an asset to the house of God you have value you have contribution they need the sound of your voice they need what is in you to come forth you need to understand this is a very very strategic thing that you need to get inside of your spirit you need to get up every day and you need to look in the mirror and say I am an answer not a problem there is a problem out there in this world that today I am an answer to and I am going to be watching and I am going to be anticipating a God connection to answer some problem in my world when I travel on airplanes I look for people that I'm going to be an answer to not a problem which means I don't act grumpy I mean I can be assertive but I'm not going to be hateful or rude or grumpy because I am an answer looking for a problem to solve and you need to understand as a child of God you are an answer looking for the world's problems to solve do you think that big government and big guns are going to solve the problems in this world no because you know it doesn't matter who gets elected and I'm not saying don't vote and don't pray but it really doesn't matter who's gonna get elected it is time for the church of Jesus Christ for the sons and the daughters to begin to be the answer to poverty and the answer to crisis and the answer to social injustice and the answer to oppression we need to be answers in our community we need to be answers in the government we need to be answers in the school we need to be answers on every single front of life and if you're going to be an answer you're gonna to have to know your story go ahead and give me the next slide God says about you you saw me before I was born every day of my life was recorded in your book every moment every moment was laid out before a single day had passed every moment every day was recorded in God's book before a single moment or a single day had passed see God saw you last night at the service and God saw you today in this service and God sees you tonight already God knows you God has divinely strategically put you in this place and you need to know your story you need to know what God wants to do through you and in case you don't know 
I'm going to tell you some stuff. I want to actually share with you guys a prophecy that got sent to me right after I spoke at Color London. Beautiful sister. Um, you know, and, and again, I want to step back from that. I've had a really cool opportunity to travel the world since the last time I was with you guys. Last November, I was in Germany. In January, I was in Peru. In February, I was all over this nation, but I was not in other nations. In March, I was in Sydney, Australia, and I watched as 18,000 women gathered in the Acer Arena to hear that they were an answer, not a problem. I got to be a speaker in that, but the, the synergy and the energy and the expectation and the beauty of what God has for his daughters is just overwhelming the earth right now. And then I went from there in March to London, the Royal Albert Hall. Is that so cool that God would put his daughters in the Royal Albert Hall? And I watched as the daughters there gathered in England. And again, again, value was declared over them. And then May, I got to go to Kiev. I mean, I was in the former Soviet Union in the Ukraine palace, which was where the communists used to meet. And I turned around at one point and I saw four 4,000 women waving roses over their heads, weeping before the presence of God. See, this is what God is doing on the earth. His eyes are on the daughters. His eyes are on you guys corporately, and his eyes are on each of you individually. Then I got to go back to Australia in June and July. I just got back there, I think, a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks. I don't remember. I am so confused about my time zones. I remember one time I looked at my life, and in four weeks, I'd been in six time zones. I was like, I don't know where I am. Sometimes I wake up in the morning in the hotel room, and I go, oh, where am I? Have you ever done that? You're like, okay, there's not a window over there. Like, my bedroom has windows in certain places. I'm like, whoa, where am I? But you know what? I believe that I am running as fast as I can to gather what God wants to deposit into you guys. God has me going around the earth to get a vision and get the word because how strategic each and every one of you are. God is doing a new thing in his daughters. And so after we were in London, this beautiful woman, she, she said, I just want to, I want to send you a word that actually had been released in Australia by a man. And it just ministered to me so much. Can I just share it with you guys? Okay, because I don't believe it was for me. I believe it was for all of you. It says, a company of mighty warriors has appeared. They are swords of the Lord in our times. The glory of the Lord rises upon them. And they will advance from victory to victory, taking back the lost territories from the enemy and doing great exploits in the kingdom of God. These people are characterized by walking in truth, Humility, which is dependence on God, and righteousness with their Lord. Gird your, and I'm going to read to you Psalm 45. Gird your sword upon your side, O mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in behalf of true humility, righteousness. Let your right hand display awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the heart of the king's enemies. And she said, in light of this, she said, I heard these words in my spirit. It takes a restored and liberated Eve to awaken the heart of Adam. 
And what was lost in the fall, God is flipping around where women are going to begin to speak strength to the princes and say, arise, is God not with you? I am going alongside you. There is a company of women that want to do it with the men, not without them, with the men. And there's a company of women. God's going to have pioneer things alone. I thank God that my husband wants to do it with me. I thank God that that is how we're doing it. But you know what? Even if he wasn't doing it, the call of God on my life still remains. And we all have to be faithful to the call of God on our lives. Now, I'm going to actually give you a quote. It's actually a, a quote from Aquila and the bee, but they didn't use the whole quote. So I want to give you the whole quote. Can I do that? Because the word will sometimes take a portion of what God is saying and just a little bit and you feel the God touch on it. But if you get the whole thing, you get the big thing. Okay, Mary, Marianne Wilson said this. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond imagination. It is our light more than our darkness which scares us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, beautiful, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. You playing small does not serve the world. We were born to manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us. It is in all of us. And when we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give others permission to do the same. When we liberate ourselves from our own fears, our presence may well liberate others. That is what God is saying to his daughters right now. You are a carrier of my glory to this earth. You cannot be limited by fears. Each of us has the potential to walk in that. So you need to learn your story. Now, you are divinely appointed for this time. You are not for last year. You are not for next year. You are for right now. You are daughters of the moment. You are daughters that are edgy. My son um, Arden was driving with me in my car and, and I have a little Blackberry Pearl and I type in it and I make phone calls, but I really don't know very much about my phone. And my phone was doing something wrong <clears throat> and my little 12 year old son took it, fixed it and he said, how come I know more about your phone than you do and I don't even have a phone? I said, that's because you guys are altogether different. This next generation looks at things all together differently. And God is going to merge the Holy Spirit and he is going to merge technology and he is going to merge creativity and he is going to take your passion and your edginess and he is going to transform the image of anything we have ever seen before. And I want you guys to know I'm excited about that. Okay, so... You need to know who you are. You are divinely destined by God. And if you're going to know your story, then you're going to have to begin to write your life. Next, next slide up there. Write your life. Now, this scripture that's up here was the very first scripture anybody, any woman ever gave me. And it's let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. It's Proverbs 3, 3 in the New King James Version. Now, I also want you to take the Proverbs um, 3, 3 in the 
NLT. I think it's also up there. Yeah, wear them like a necklace. Write them deep within your heart. If you could maybe leave that on one screen. I want to talk to you about that. Okay, I have a necklace on. I have a really cool necklace, actually, from a conference I did called Braveheart. I have a necklace on, and um, a necklace is kind of a connection of the head and the heart. It kind of is an adornment that says the Word of God is not going to just stay in my head. It's going to drop into my heart. But it says to write the words of God deep within your heart. Now, if we're going to be people that are really going to do these things, then we need to really not just say, wow, that's a pretty verse. I'm going to write the Word of God in my heart. We need to know how to practically write the Word of God in our heart. And I really just recently said, okay, I need to figure out what this means because what is true and what makes us true is to be etched in our hearts. So how are we going to write our life? How are we going to write? Well, to figure out how we're going to write our life, then I need to define the word right for you. And I know that seems like kind of an easy word. Don't put it up quite yet. But the first definition of to write is to transfer data. You know, I'm going to write it down so I can pass on information. Another is to create or compose so others can read or listen to it. And yet another definition is to reveal or exhibit clearly. But I want to share with you today my favorite definition of the word write. Write is to ordain or prophesy what will happen in the future. To ordain or prophesy what will happen in the future. When you take God's word and you hide it in your heart, you ordain and you prophesy what will happen in your future. Do you know why? Because the word is alive. The word is alive. And so when you put it in your heart, it speaks to you in the morning when you wake up. It speaks to you go to bed. It talks to you and counsels you when you make different choices and different decisions. The word is alive. It says it is a two-edged sword, rightly dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, thoughts and intent or motives of the heart. The word of God rightly defines. Now, I believe we need a generation that's going to take the word of God and they're going to write it in their heart by speaking it and by meditating on it. We can't just, see, you, you, see, there's actually no excuse for you guys. There's really no excuse. Your generation is so resourced. You can get the Bible online. You can have the Bible in like 25 different translations. If you don't like one, you can toss that one and get another one. There's the Message Bible. There's the New Living Testament. There's NIV. There's New King James. There's King, there's, there's Amplified. The Word of God is an abundance in availability but it seems to not be transforming the children of God. And that's because they're not etching it into their lives. We need to write it in our life. And if you write it in your life, then it begins to speak to you. And God's will in your life begins to reveal itself. I remember when as a young girl, I remember reading the book of Esther. And I remember as I read the words, God etched certain portions of that scripture into my life. He said, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come from another source, but you and your father's house will not be saved. I remember feeling the weight of it that I had come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Nobody else was speaking it over me. Nobody else saw anything in me. I was part-time going to school, 
part-time waitress. Nobody was coming and saying, wow, I see the hand of God on your life. But I was taking the word and I was letting it etch itself into my life. When God breathes on something, when you read something and it goes off inside of you, do you know what I mean? When it just goes off inside of you and you say, yes, I am for signs and wonders. Yes, there's something in you that explodes. It's him etching. It's him carving out your heart so that you can be a container, so that you can be a vessel of what he wants to put in there. Also, when you speak the word of God, when you declare the word of God, you are returning it back to God. God says, so shall my world be that goes forth my mouth. It will not return unto me void, but I will watch over it to make sure it accomplishes what I send it to do. God sends his word out. It's like radio waves being broadcast, but the people that get it are the people that decide to tune in to that radio. I mean, right now there's radio waves bouncing off of every one of your heads. But unless you have a radio receiver and you turn into a channel where the signal is clear, you will not hear what the radio is broadcasting. And it is the same way with life in the spirit. If you do not get on the channel with what God is doing and tune in your receiver, you will not hear what God is saying, even though he is broadcasting it very loudly, very loudly, very clearly. I have to be honest with you, 25 years ago, 25 years ago when I became a Christian and was married, 25 years ago, it was kind of blurry. It was kind of fuzzy. I caught a word here. I caught a word there. I caught a glimpse of a verse here. But that's not how it is anymore. It is a clarion sound. It is a certain sound. It is a strong sound that he is releasing over his daughters. And God wants to purify our hearts because when our hearts are pure, then everything we do becomes pure. And tender before God because the kingdom of heaven is always about motives. They've got it up here. If your heart is pure, then your future is secure. You don't need to worry whether you're going to do the right thing or not. If your heart is pure and you start going the wrong way, God will just put you in the right way. It's all about having a purity of heart. It's not about being perfect. John talked to you about, we all make mistakes, but what we want before God is a pure heart, a heart that has been washed, a heart that has his word hidden, a heart that is focused. And so you guys are generations that God is raising up to walk in such purity of heart. Okay, so most Christians know where they're going but they have no idea how to get there. And that is why you have to have the word of God directing you. It says you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. You start to turn that way, God says, nope, that's not the way. This is the way, walk in it. So I want you to go to uh, Habakkuk 2, the next verse. Again, you don't have to go in your Bible. Habakkuk 2, verses 2 through 3. I'm going to read to you the Amplified. It is a big one, but this is what you need to do. Write the vision. Write the vision. So when something goes off in you and God shows you something, you don't just think about it. You don't just call other people. You begin to write it. Write the envision and engrave it. There is again, the engraving, the etching. Write the vision and engrave it so plainly upon tablets that everyone who passes may be able to read it easily and quickly as they hasten by it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, and it hastens to the end. So you don't write the vision on the day it arrives. You write the vision way ahead of time. And so we know in part, we prophesy in part, but we begin to write now so that when we are there, we know it. We know it. 
write the vision plainly. Okay, so it, the vision is yet for an appointed time. It hastens to that end or the fulfillment. It will not deceive. It will not disappoint you. God will never disappoint you. God will never deceive you. Now, people may disappoint you, and people may deceive you, but you cannot confuse people and the way they keep their promises with the way God keeps his. God is very different than people. God says, I am not a man that I should lie. If I promise, I'm going to do it. The only person that stops the fulfillment of God's promise in your life is you. That's it. You're the only person. Okay. Though it tarry, though it's slow, and God never does things quickly, some, well, some things he does quickly, but usually the things that are vision are usually in the future. Wait, wait. It says earnestly, wait, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not be behindhand on its appointed day. The appointed day is coming when what was written in your heart will be revealed before the throne of God. But also, the appointed day is coming when the promises of God that he has dropped in your spirit, maybe as you're going to sleep at night, maybe things that are way too big for you to even imagine, how could I possibly do that? Those promises of God are going to be revealed on earth. See, God is releasing the promises of heaven into his daughters who walk on earth. And you are part of that. You are going to be part of an amazing light that's going to begin to shine on this world. The world is watching and waiting, and they are really not watching and waiting for the Christians to fail. They are watching and waiting for us to really live what we believe. They get angry every time we disappoint them, every time we make stupid, selfish, foolish choices. They are heartbroken because they want to believe at some level that there is a God in heaven that loves them, that their life has purpose, that there is divine destiny. They are watching you, you are the only God most of them are ever going to see on earth. We hide the word of God. We read it. We meditate on our hearts. We need to understand that the scriptures are alive. They'll speak to us. We got to get all that going. But then you need to know who you are. You need to know who you are because you are not just anybody. And I keep saying it over you. And I will continue to say it over you. You are royalty. You are daughters of heaven. You are not daughters of earth. You are not even daughters of your parents. You are of noble lineage. You are of a royal priesthood. You are priests and kings merged here on earth. Go to Psalm 45. It says, listen to me, O royal daughter. Do I have any royal daughters in here? Okay. Royal daughters use their influence, not for themselves, before the subjects of the kingdom. O royal daughter, take heart what I say. Forget your people and your family far away, for your royal husband delights in your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. Pause right there. Keep it on that. Jesus is not your father. He's not even your brother. He's your bridegroom. When it talks about this, it's saying forget what your natural lineage is, you are betrothed to a prince. You have the, the things of heaven available to you on earth. Forget your father's house. Forget your family far away. Now I want to bring this to a natural thing. I am 
I am the natural descendant of an alcoholic. I am the natural descendant of divorced parents. I am the natural descendant of a mother who miscarried three times. I am the natural descendant of a mother and a grandmother who had cancer, and I actually had cancer at five. But I am a heavenly descendant of the Most High God. And when I began to grab a hold of what Jesus had done for me, I switched bloodlines. I said, I will not inherit the pain. I will not inherit the failure. I will inherit the promise, and I will inherit the healing, and I will inherit the privileges of royalty. I remember I looked at my life, John, I were only married, I think, for a year when I realized that the nightmares and the horrific background of my past was trying to follow me, trying to press into my now, trying to take the things of not just my life, but my parents' life and my grandparents' life and superimpose it on me. Things like, you know you'll end up divorced. All the women in your family get divorced. Your grandmother was married three times. No, four times, I'm sorry, four times to three men. Your mother was married and divorced twice. You can't make a marriage work. See, you can't be passive. You can't just let that go through your head and not confront it. You can't let those thoughts go through. When those thoughts go through, you pick up the sword of the Spirit and say, I have forgotten my father's house. I will not inherit the pain or the fears of those that have gone before me. I will inherit the promises of God. Go ahead and give me the second part of that verse. Next part says, your sons will become kings like their fathers. I said, you know what? It's not just about me and how I walk and how I live. It's about the lives that are going to pass through me. I want my sons set up to walk in power, to walk in promises to walk in royalty. Your sons will be like kings like their father. You will make them. You, women, you, you, a queen, a princess, when she marries, makes her lineage royalty. You will make them rulers over many lands. That means we're going to have authority. We're not over lands like in the Old Testament. We're over the kingdom of darkness, and we are administrating the kingdom of heaven. You will make them rulers over many lands. I will bring honor to your name. Now, my name was known for dishonor. My family's name, when I go back to my hometown, I don't even want to say my maiden name. Oh, yeah. How many affairs did your dad have? So is your dad still alive, or has he drunk himself to death yet? I don't even want to say my name. You will bring honor to the new name. You are gods. You are daughters of the Most High. You are the bride of Jesus Christ. Honor to your name in every generation. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. Now, we need to under, wow, I knew that was going to happen. Did you see that? It's completely, I knew, I knew that this was not going to happen by accident. Do you know why? My mother had become a Christian when I was 14, and she was saved, and she got healed, but that was it. And when I became a Christian, I took the word of God, and I said, you know what? It's great that my mom's saved. It's great that she got healed, but this is not enough for me. I'm going to figure out every single 
promise. And John and I said, we are first generation married. We are going to do everything differently than what our parents have done. And we mapped out our life before we ever had a child. We mapped out our life and we said, we're going to position our sons to go further and farther. We're going to position the next generation to go further and farther. See, John and I were always passionate. But we, as soon as we came into the church, people said, well, you guys are passionate now because you're young. Well, you know, we're both almost 50 and we're still passionate. You know what? You do not have to calm down. You do not have to calm down. And we said, we are not, okay, 47. Jennifer's shaking her head. 47 is closer to 40, 50 than 40. So anyway, I, my husband really gets mad because he's 48 and I tell people he's almost 50 and it really stresses him out because the guys seem to kind of care about that a little bit more. So anyway, but we decided that we were going to on purpose appropriate the word of God. We etched it in our heart. Whenever somebody said something different, we said, no, that's not how it's going to be for us. No, money's never going to be a problem for us. No, because we're going to honor God with our tithes, and we're going to give offerings, and we're going to give him the first fruit of righteousness, and we're going to pursue his kingdom and his righteousness. And you know what he's going to do? He's just going to add things to us. We don't ever have to worry about our finances, because we know even if we do something stupid, that God, it's only money, that God's going to take care of us. We believe that our kids walk in divine health and healing. I remember my son, Alec. You know, Alec got a supernatural healing on 7707. My son's voice, my son's voice was so strained. I don't know what happened. We took him to a doctor. They ran things down his throat. They did all sorts of stuff. We tried doing different things with him. They said, there's nothing wrong. There's no reason. And I said, I know what it is. It is a spiritual attack against the anointing of God on his life that Satan would try to rob my son of his voice. And I remember we were in Hillsong, and they said there's going to be a healing anointing released in this building. And I turned around, and I looked at Alec, and he looked at me, and I said, this is for you. And he said, I know. And I remember we just said, we're pulling down this healing from heaven. Enough is enough. I said, baby, you're getting healed on your 16th birthday. Though it may tarry, it will come, and it will not disappoint you. You need to send the word of God into your future so it meets you there. A lot of you are going to need a lot of the word because God is going to call you to do huge things, huge things. So you need to start to send the word of God into your futures and mama's you need to send the word of God into your daughter's futures. Send it to their future. Have it waiting for them as a treasury. Don't limit them with your fears. Don't limit them. Position them with the promises of God. Grandmothers, same thing. You are amazing. You have such contribution. See, daughters are raised up to ask questions. And gra grandmothers are raised up to get perspective but mamas are raised up to get answers. And I am a mother in the house of God. And I am standing in the middle of the young and the old and saying we all need to be saying the same thing at the same time from our different points of view and our different perspectives. But we need to go further and we need to go farther. So once you find out that you are royalty, then you need to align yourself and make your connections. Align yourself and make your connections. Align yourselves with people that are walking the same way with you. Align yourself with other royal daughters. Align yourselves with those that are going where you want to go. Going where you want to go. You don't take advice from people who are not where you want to be. 
You take advice from people who are where you want to go. That doesn't mean they won't have made mistakes. But if I want to talk to somebody about having a good marriage, I'm going to talk to somebody that has a good marriage, not somebody that has a bad marriage. So we need to find the people that are where we want to go and connect with the people that are there and as well as travel with the people that are going where we are going. Next verse, John kind of said this to you last night, but I want to say it again. Do not be misled. That means we can be misled. God is saying, okay, this is something that people get misled about. This is something that people get confused about. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Not hard to understand. Don't be confused. Bad company corrupts good character. He goes on and says, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. When you get with bad company, usually you end up compromising and sinning. Now, John said last night, but we need to be in the world, but not of it. There's a difference between being in the world and being a light and having fellowship and being yoked with people that are part of your company. God is raising a company of daughters, a company of mothers, a company of grandmothers to preach the word of God on this earth. You need to be part of that good company and not part of the bad company. And you know what? They can even be Christians and bad company. They can smash your dreams. They can discourage you. They can put fears on you. But usually it's those that would corrupt. And corrupt is to take something that's pure and defile it. I love what the Message Bible adds to this. It says, ignorance of God is a luxury you can't afford in times like these. What did John say what the times were? Lovers of themselves. Lovers of pleasures. Disobedient to parent. Disrespectful. Unthankful. Ungodly. People that mock everything that is sacred. Those are not the people you should align yourself with. Yes, you can be a light to them, but you cannot go where they go. And you cannot say what they say. If you have found yourself entrapped in sin before this conference, I believe we dealt with things last night. But if you were entrapped in things before this conference, then you need to ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. And you need to revisit some of your friends for when you go home. Because when you go home, Satan is going to immediately try to steal what has been imparted. That's just the way he is. I don't like it. I wish I could stop it. But that's just the way he is. He comes immediately to steal. So you're going to have to guard what has been planted. You need to look at your friends. If these are people that are pulling you down, you need to get rid of them. Powerful, powerful quote. It's kind of loosely quoted. If you can put it up there, it says, show me your friends. And I will show you your future. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. I know that all of us have had friends in our life we've had to say goodbye to. And sometimes we say goodbye to them permanently, and sometimes we say goodbye to them for a season. But if you don't say goodbye to the healthy friends, and a lot of us are afraid to say goodbye to our healthy friends, I mean our unhealthy friends, because we think we won't have any friends. We're like, God, if I break fellowship with these friends, then I'll have 
no friends. And some friends are better than no friends, right? Wrong. It is better for you to be in healthy company, alone with God for a season while he is imparting his will into your life so that you can be rightly aligned in the next season. So now, I want to tell you a little story from me. I had to cut some relationships that, not saying that people were bad, but it wasn't strengthening what I was called to do. And I remember saying, but God, if I do this, I'll have no one in my life. I felt isolated. I felt accused. I felt misunderstood. I felt misjudged. And for a season, I felt so alone. But in that season, you know what I did? I dug deep. I dug deep, and I wrote, and I wrote, and I prayed, and I danced, and I cried out for God. I put things in my journal, and I penned things for a book. And then all of a sudden, the season shifted. And all of a sudden, women were on the scene that all of a sudden were like, we've been watching and waiting for you. I was like, wait, I have been watching and waiting for you. Bobby Houston, the wife of Brian Houston, a powerful woman of God down in Australia, sat me down in London and said, your books and your preaching have encouraged me more than you will ever know. I sat there and went, you've got to be joking. Everybody needs encouragement. I'm taking these shoes off. This is so wrong. I'm like going to completely wipe out. All right, okay. We all need to understand that you doing your part means that you're going to strengthen another person's part. Can I tell you something kind of silly about Bobby Houston? Back in 1997, I was watching a Hillsong music video. That was before we had DVDs, remember? Video. I was watching a music video, and Darlene Check was jumping and dancing and all these other people. But for me, for me, I knew I was never going to be singing. For me, I was watching for the pastor's wife. I was like, where's this pastor's wife? Where is this pastor's wife that is not afraid to empower another woman to worship God? That's not afraid to give another woman a bigger platform than even herself in this season. I want to know what that woman looks like. I want to know what that woman looks like. And I remember watching the front row. And every time, like, they would, like, see, show Brian, I'd, like, pause it. Say, is that his wife? No, no, that's not his wife. I mean, and finally, finally, I saw him kind of, like, cuddled to someone. I said, I think that's his wife. And I remember freeze-framing that woman in that video. And I ran out of the room. And I got John. And I said, look at her. And John said, oh, yeah, that's Brian's wife. I said, don't you think she looks like me? And John said, you know what? She does look like you. See, the truth is, back in 1997, when I looked around the other women in the house of God, I didn't look like anybody. I looked completely different than anybody else. And I didn't like the big hair. And I didn't like, I know it's coming back in style, which is good because my hair does that actually naturally, but I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like the pantyhose. I didn't like the dresses. I didn't like all this stuff. And I remember seeing Bobby, and she was like this, and she was just crying, and that's me in worship. I am a worshiper. I cannot sing. I cannot lead worship, but I am a worshiper. And I saw a woman who stood in the presence of God, and she didn't care what anybody else around her thought. And I said, all right. All right. There's another one. There's another one. Now, as the years have gone by, I've had some great things happen. I'll be at a book table, and I'll look up, and I'll be signing books, and I'll look. And there'll be maybe 50 people that I've already hugged and signed books for, and all of a sudden, I'll look, and I'll go, I'll see a girl. And she'll be beautiful. And she'll be blonde, and she'll be blue-eyed. But I'll say, do, 
do I know you? Do I know you? And she'll say, she'll start crying. I say, do, do I know you? I'm sorry, I didn't remember. You know, why are you crying? She's like, no, you don't know. But you have been a mother to me for the last five years of my life. I have read every single book you have ever written. And then she falls in my arms and starts crying and tells me how her dad had sexually molested her and that she had taken that pain, turned it around, bought the Kiss the Girls kit, and began to minister to young girls that were sexually molested and abused. See, I saw her, and she saw me, and I thought I recognized her because there was a similar spiritual DNA. She didn't look like anything like me in the natural, but she was my daughter and I was her mother. And see, God is doing supernatural DNA connections in the spirit. He is connecting his daughters spirit to spirit where they look at each other. You're going to go home from this conference and maybe there's going to be people you've never noticed before. And all of a sudden, because of the spiritual DNA that was dropped in you, you're going to look at them and say, do I know you? No, I need to know you. You and I need to be friends. Becky Terabasi was there here last night because Becky Terabasi and I met, I think, about six years ago. And we said, we need to be friends. We need to be friends. There is something similar about you and me. We need to be friends. And so we emailed each other. She was going through hell. I'd encourage her a word. I would just send her a word, a scripture or something. And we just kept in touch. And then last night she came to me and she said, Lisa, I am a woman who travels and preaches, but I'm not allowed to say I'm preached. I'm only allowed to say that I share. And I believe that God is raising me up to preach in the house of God. She said, do you understand how divinely connected we have been even before you knew it? Divine connections. God is going to give you guys divine connections. He's going to give you spiritual DNA alignments. Now, I have to be honest with you. Women tend to be evil with each other. How many of you know that? All right. Okay. So you know what? It's on your shoulders to change this. It's on your shoulders to rewrite this. Now, I was crying out to God, and I was like, God, you're connecting the women, but there's not one biblical example of peer-to-peer -peer female relationships that are healthy. Not one. Not one. You say, oh, Ruth and Naomi, older, younger. Mary and Elizabeth, older, younger. Martha and Mary, fighting over Jesus' attention. One sister trying to pull the other one out of the presence of God. Okay, that's not healthy. Rachel and Leah, married to the same man. I don't think so. <laughs> Hannah and Paniah, finding out who can be the best breeder, again, with the same husband. Okay, so there's not one, there's not one peer-to-peer, sister-to-sister relationship. Not one. Oh my God, I'm supposed to be connecting the sisters, and you don't give me one example to work with. This is pretty sorry. This is pretty sorry. Maybe we should all be isolated. Maybe we should all go in the tents during our period. Maybe there's all this kind of stuff. I don't know. And God said to me, Lisa, Lisa, tell the daughters that walk on earth that they are writing that chapter right now. See, Acts 1-1 says... I wrote you, oh, King Theopolis, of what Jesus began to do and to teach. It's not over. The story is not over. 
Oh, yeah, when Jesus was walking on the earth, we saw the brothers jockeyed for position. I want to sit on the right hand. I want to sit on the left hand. Okay, we saw the brothers. God, on fire on them. Sorry, that's not how we're going to be acting, brothers. Jesus had to correct them. But the world is watching and waiting how the sisters are going to do it. Write it well. Write it well. Begin to connect with each other. Begin to bring strength and alignment to each other. Begin to use your strengths to build up each other's weaknesses. Don't use your strengths to point out other people's weaknesses. We use strength to build up weak places and we use strength to strengthen strengths. So how are we going to find these people? How are we going to be related? Matthew 12, 50 says, anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. When you step into God's will for your life, all of a sudden God will open your eyes and you'll say, that person, that person, that woman's a mother, that woman's a grandmother, this, this one's a sister, this one's a daughter. God will begin to give you heaven's relationships. God is a father. We are a family. Some of us are going to be cousins. Some of us are going to be sisters and brothers. Some of us are going to be mothers and daughters. Some of us will be grandmothers and granddaughters, but God is divinely connecting us. So we are going to be related. And my favorite definition of relate means to tell a story or describe an event. We are all part of each other's story. I am up here in front of you because I'm part of the story in your life. I am here to stir up the gift of God in your life so that you will begin to write your story well. I am like completely out of time. That is just wrong. Okay. All right. So, okay, let me just go something really quick because I want to make sure I get this for, to you. There is a divine anointing right now on God's daughters to ask for the release of heaven. Let's go ahead and skip forward to that if you can find it. To begin to ask for the things of heaven. And I want to tell you a story out of Genesis, uh, Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, or Numbers. I don't know what. Does it matter? No, I think it's Numbers 27. See, John is so organized. Numbers 27. There was this, um, yeah, it is Numbers 27. There was a group of five sisters, five sisters that said we're going to make a difference. Five sisters that said we're not going to just sit around and complain because we're not included in the boys' club. Five sisters that said we're going to make a difference. They had gone through the wilderness. Their father and mother had died off in the wilderness. So these are not just five sisters. These are five young sisters, right? 20 and under. Five teenagers probably said, all right, they're distributing the inheritance for the promised land. And the rule was that the sons got the inheritance of the father. And so every son whose father had died off in the wilderness, which would be everybody but Joshua and Caleb, was given the portion of the promised land. And Moses and Aaron and all the tribes and all the assembly, they're mapping it out, they're dividing it, they're dividing it all. They got it all divided up. And all of a sudden, five teenage girls show up on the scene. And they say, but what if there is no son? Give it to us. Give it to the daughters. If there is no son, why should our father's name die out? Give us the inheritance that would have been given to the son. And see, I believe that's what God likes about women. God will make them ask for things because they think of things nobody ever thought of. See, Moses... 
and Aaron and the whole assembly had never said, what if there's no sun? They had never thought about that. But the women had, because see, women look at things differently than men had. And they said, what about us? Because it's not just about us five girls. We may marry guys and get their inheritance, but we will not have the legacy of our father lost to our sons and our daughters. See, they understood it wasn't just about the five of them. It was about what the next generation would inherit. And so Moses is completely shocked. And Moses is a man of God. So instead of just saying, no, inheritance goes for the sons. That's what we've always done. That's what we will always do. He didn't do that. He went before God. And you know what God said about these five daughters? These five teenage daughters who had appeared before the assembly. Do you remember the earth was opening up and swallowing people? Do you remember how God had like this cloud of fire at night and a pillar by day? I mean, it's like, whoom, pillow just comes and knocks you out if you said something stupid. Five sisters in one accord. Five sisters. God goes before. Moses comes before God. God speaks to Moses and says, their claim is legitimate. Give them the land and rewrite the law that from now on the daughters will have an inheritance. Do you know that was Moses' last, last declaration, last law put in place before they stepped in to the promised land? Last ruling ever made was the daughters will have an inheritance when we come out of bondage and we step into promise. The daughters will have an inheritance. But to get that inheritance, what did God make them do? Ask. Yeah, you're going to have to ask. 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 God is asking the daughters that walk on earth, the daughters of heaven who tread the ground of earth, he's asking them to ask for the release of heaven on earth. Put it up there. Heaven is watching and waiting for you to ask. See, I can ask, but it's not enough for me to ask. We need each and every one of you to begin to ask for something more than what you've seen, to begin to ask for something more than what you've known, to begin to ask for the exceeding abundantly above all that you would ask, hope, pray, or believe. Do you know the first person that was invited to ask was also the first person that Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah to was the Samaritan woman at the well. He, Jesus asked her for water. She doesn't ever give it to him. Do you know that? She never even gives it to him. So it wasn't the point. He asked her for water, and instead of giving it to him, she asked him a question. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Not just Samaritan. Samaritan woman, two strikes, Samaritan woman with a questionable past. You're asking me for water? And Jesus says to her, dear woman, if you only knew the gift God has for you, then you would ask. 
whole verse says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to. I believe Jesus is speaking to each and every one of you. Who is speaking to you? Not me, Jesus. You would ask, and I would give you living water. Now, he was talking about right there, right that, that well. But how many times in the New Testament does he invite us to ask and ask and ask and ask? And yet we don't. Okay, Luke eleven nine 9. For everyone, not just the guys, for everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be opened to. Your father knows exactly what you need before you ask. But because it's a divine partnership, he won't give it to you until you ask. See, God knew those five daughters needed an inheritance. But he said, I'm not doing anything until they ask. You don't know what heaven is waiting to release, waiting for you to ask. Ask. I tell you the truth, John 14. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works because I am going to be with my Father. You can. Say, I can. You can ask for anything. Anything. Not just the Christian things. Anything. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask for me for anything in my name, and I will do it. When we ask God and he releases an answer, we bring glory to his name. What do you have need of, daughter? What do you have need of? What do you have need of? You need to ask him for it. You need to ask him for it. You need to write in your journal. You need to begin to ask. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.